of you change! Sorry, she's gonna stop again. <laughs> <laughs>
into this oh, the presidency yeah. comes out like four or eight years exponentially later. aged i remember and i i remember this clearly when obama won the presidency they as soon as he won they said and now what we want to show you is what he's going to look like when he's done with his presidency yeah. and they did right and they showed like okay he's gonna is gonna age him yeah and i kid you not he he matches that picture perfectly yeah. it's it's amazing the kind of stress that they're under and totally yeah for sure. i mean it, would, it wouldn't be a stress for me of course not. At all. I just push that button over and over. You know what I mean? The big red one? Right. That was easy. Dude. Yep. I, I went to a I went to a, the Abbotsford Air Show a number of years ago. <laughs> Sorry. And I was I was because I had come back from <clears throat> from New Zealand and I was interviewing here at Northview and Darcy Kuhn, who's our pastor of missions, he was the interim executive pastor at the time. And so he said, Oh, just to give you a flavor for some of the local stuff that we do at, at in Abbotsford, we'll take you to the air show. And he had free tickets, and we got to like this sweet part that had a buffet and stuff, and was right along the side. This is one of the I, I've been to the air show twice. This is the only t- first time that I went. Anyway, showed up, and I went for a walk at one point, just you know, to see what was there and the the planes that were on the ground and all that. And walked through them, and I walked by a guy that had a shirt on that said it, that said. Uh, uh, work hard, play hard, kill terrorists. Oh, mercy. Wow. And it had a big old U.S. flag on the front. On the bottom, it said, these colors don't run. And I, so I, I followed this guy, and I kept taking photos with him with my phone <laughs> because that was awesome. Eat, eat, what, no. Uh, play, and you're in, you're work in hard, Canada, play man. hard, kill terrorists. I just thought it was funny in this Mennonite town. You this guy <laughs> right. with the U.S. flag stuff. What did that have to do with anything? I don't I know. Don't know. What, that's what I always think of when I think of uh, the Secret Service, though. You, th- you think of that guy? I think they work hard and play hard and kill terrorists. Yeah. Don't you think? Hoorah. Hoorah. I'm an Amer- yeah. Two of us are Americans in this room. Oh, Andy, yeah. who are you voting for? Is your vote for sale? And I even oh, spent three years there. Buddy, I've just been following. Seriously, though, did you did you read the Wayne Grudem article about who to vote for? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think he said he argued strongly that uh, that for, it, for Trump. It was the moral choice, I think, yeah. what he, so he called That was it. the but thing, I was right? not He's a fan the... of that article. Not because I'm a fan <laughs> of Hillary Clinton. I just, I'm not sure that anyone is the moral choice. But right. that everybody right. has reasons for voting for who they who will, and they will have to But did you notice how I sidestepped things. your question? That's how Dude, you why do can't it. you? You should that's, see. That's how the politicians do it. You should make nice it. Job. We should, we see, should make you. it on our watching. podcast. We have two votes available here. We should make it uh, so that like we have a contest, and whoever wins the contest doesn't get a copy of your book. They get to have your vote. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, can, that sounds reasonable. Can we yeah. do that? <laughs> can we do There's that? There's probably an American law against selling your vote. <laughs> I would think. Well, it's not really selling. It's sort of winning, like the lottery. <laughs> My favorite thing is that how these politicians pay people to come to their rallies. Uh, do you remember <laughs> Jeb Bush was, was trying to get his way in there? <laughs> people there? And people were like, so when am I going to get paid for being here? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. I would be somebody who you could pay to go to a rally. Yeah. yeah you, Wouldn't you, you? I'd have a group of friends that we'd say, we're, listen... My voice is for sale. My voice is I'm for willing sale. to scream for you because, you know, who cares? Listen, right. if there's free food, I'd give it some thought. Well, I was going to say, you probably get to go and ride around in those special Secret Service cars. You get to have free food. 
they probably give you a Diet Coke somewhere along the line. That's all you got to do, by the way. If you want Jeff Bucknam anywhere, oh. give him a Diet Coke. If there's a buffet there. with Diet Coke, listen. He's now, now, are you going to go Diet Coke or Coke Zero? Make your choice on uh, Coke Zero. But I'm not, right. you know, Diet Pepsi is more my. More is there my, really a difference between Diet, Diet Pepsi is more my Zero? cup of tea? Cup of Coke. Wait a minute. That doesn't work. Hmm. Diet Pepsi. It's more my cup of Pepsi. Hmm. So do we got any nice. questions? Yeah, we got some to get to <laughs> here. You bet. You guys just keep rambling and rambling. Kill the banter. So here we go. Uh, Jeff, so yes. instead of screaming for politicians, you scream for Jesus. I do. And you do that pretty regularly. I bought with a price, man. Nice. So this last weekend, you had a sermon about the parable of the talents. And you talked about us, how we're slaves. Uh, you talked about us doubling the master's money. Do you guys so, find that interesting? Just by the as, a, as an aside, that the term I, I found it really interesting that the term in the Greek is the Greek word doulos, mm-hmm. which is I know translated in some places as servant, but I, it never. Murray J. Harris years ago wrote a very extended Greek article about well how this should not be the case. It's the word slave is chosen for a reason. It conveys a certain image. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in fact, this week <clears throat> we're going to start the book of Romans. It's interesting that. The second word in it is Paul yeah. Dulos. Yeah. So Paul gives his name and then he gives his identification as a as a Dulos. So I'm gonna have another go at talking about yeah. that this week to show again that and how that should actually be the way we we we, we self identify, right? And that the thing that we point to to say that that I'm this is who I am should be as slaves of Jesus, as bond servants, is the kind of old English language there. I know. The, 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 I was going to bring that up. Bond servant to me is, I think, conveys though an important aspect of the the idea that Paul's saying. Listen, um, it's not the kind of slavery where I've been captured and mistreated. It's the kind of slavery as you as you brought up, where I've put myself into the service of of my master. Yes. Well. Yes. And and yes, and well, I'm just being, thinking about a couple. I mean, passages. being a slave of Christ is being redeemed from being a slave to sin. Well, there's a passage in Second Corinthians that talks about how He leads us in triumphal procession. Do you know that text? Mm-mm. No, Jesus leads us in triumphal procession. The language there actually does convey that we are captured. It's the language of a when a when a military uh, conqueror would go out to another land and he would go and he would win the battle. They would bring back the captives. And they would march along the mm. street, and there would be an order to it. I think the the the, the uh, capturing or the one one who did the capturing was dressed in purple at the back. So he's the he's the victorious king, and the king that had been defeated would be in the front, and he would mm. be riding in chains or whatever. It's, so it was this big demonstration down the streets of the main cities to show, look what we did. And there is this triumphal procession. There's some some people who would be playing horns at the front end, but the triumphal procession was that was a reference to the those who those the kings, nobles, and others who had been captured along with the king, the rival king, who are now walking conquered. Anyway, there's an argument about this, but in it, it, there's some really good evidence to suggest that actually this is the way that the Bible, sh- the way we should understand, or that boy Paul understands himself, that Jesus mm-hmm. leads me in triumphal procession. So, in other words, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the, I'm one of the, I'm one of the vanquished. Yeah. And if you look at some of the language throughout the scriptures, you really do get that kind of idea. We were, we were, uh, you know, if I'm thinking of Ephesians two, 
right? Uh, mm-hmm. We are blind yeah. uh, and dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, prisoners of the, you know, I think, what's the language? Servants, slaves of the ones who, of the, the prince of the power of the air. The only, problem, the only problem with that is that you gotta, you had, you'd have to juxtapose that with the, with the idea that you've been set free. Yeah, totally. And this is one of the, the I agree, this is one of the paradoxes, though. Mm-hmm. Of the language of the scriptures that you've been that we're happy slaves we, we have been freed to slavery is that probably the right way to lang- to, to say that yeah that's that's how I've always understood Paul to right. understand that idea of slavery but I think that in the way, in our culture when we talk about freedom it emphasizes our 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 choice of getting in or out of obedience to him when when I think that the emphasis of the scriptures are not on you don't make God sovereign. He is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. You don't make him your master. He is, like he is. Right. Right. Your master. You, you're not. The way a lot of people view this is, no, I'm not a slave of sin or a slave of God. I get to choose one way or the other. I just kind of sit in this third place where sometimes I'm a, I, I I submit myself to this and sometimes this other. But I'm the sovereign. When actually the Bible isn't really talking that language. Mm-hmm. It's talking more in language of, no, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness in Christ. Because mm-hmm. one of the images that the Bible also uses a lot throughout and in, in even in history is this idea of the, the conquered and those that are in exile. Mm-hmm. And that you have been born in exile, in the sen- or we would talk about you've been born in sin, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so that we have this... Um, you've been redeemed, bought with a price... Return. The question is, what's your status? I agree with you that right. you've been born in exile, but in, and your the good king has come and released you from your slavery to that other land, to the Babylonians. Right. What What is your status now, though? And the Bible uses different language for that. We love language like son and daughter of the king, right. which of course we are. But the Bible also uses probably even more frequently, honestly, uh, I haven't done a word search to count them up, but the word doulos in reference to a Christian is shows up all over the place, usually at mm-hmm. the beginning of the epistles of, of the letters. Well, and interestingly enough, when a foreign nation would come in and conquer another nation, I mean, that's, that's what, you, that's what you, you were, right? You were a slave yeah. to that nation. But, but, this is, but that's my point, though, is that this is a different type of slavery Yes, you've been conquered by Christ, if you will. I think that's what you're getting at, yes. Jeff. But but Paul's saying I've but I've willingly put myself yep. into slavery to Christ. Right. Um, yes, I'm saying yes and yes. Yeah, right. I get what you're saying. It's just it's an interesting idea that I think people don't give a lot of thought to because I think sometimes people I get this question a lot. People will say, "How does that work that I was born into sin?" Right. I mean. Listen, like, or that Adam's sin is imputed to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. right? And and that's where certain you know illustrations like being born into captivity are helpful. You're like, yep. well, these people were you know were conquered by the the Egyptians and they were born into captivity, right? right? And 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 in that sense, you were born into sin, right? And, but Christ has come and he's 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 rescued you. He's defeated the power of sin and he has set you free. And I think it comes back to this question then, well, if he set you free, like, what does that mean then? Like, what are right. you doing with that freedom? And Paul's saying, well, I've put myself into the service of the king. Yeah, I'm, I, I would quibble with a couple of your words at the end there, but yeah. Which, which ones would you quibble with? Uh, I'm just, I'm, you're emphasizing the human volition in it, which I appreciate. And I'm saying, yes, that is a part to play in it. I, I'm saying 
the language of slavery, though, is tell, tells a story of God capturing the other. That that you you were you were one, and regardless of whether or not you you would consider yourself a Calvinist or more Reformed or a Wesleyan and more Arminian, I I think that we would all agree that the only reason that we're here is because he he came after us. Mm-hmm. He not he initiated. He moved. He grabbed. Yep. He turned. Our hearts, that 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 kind of language. I'm appealing to language now. You know, in Acts 16, where you know, he opened Lydia's heart up so that she might see the but truth. Here, but stuff. here's so where I, I would push back, though. My thing is, is asking the question. Well, what asking the question? Well, what it, was it the purpose for? Right, and I don't think that God's desire for us is to be slaves. Well, it depends on how you understand that language. And and see, when we use the language of slavery, uh, we we attribute to it uh, the racial hatred that um, we attribute to it the racial hatred that occurred during the African slave trade, for example. Right. So we live on the other side of that. So whenever the word slave is used, it's ruined, basically. Now, I'm not saying that, that human slavery is never, ever justified. It's not ever justified. No, no person should own another person humanly. But I'm not talking about the relationship between a human and a human. I'm talking about the relationship between God and us. And I'm saying that the Bible utilizes this language, and it does for a reason in the context that it uses. And as much as you and I push back against that, and the reason we push back, I'm saying the reason we push back against that, Andy, is because we like the language of volition. We like the idea that we're free. Well, we're free. I'm free to make my choice. That's the culture of our day. And I'm saying, well, actually... I don't know how I don't know if that's the proper way of understanding your relationship to God. That somewhere in your you know vast images that you have to use right. So I'm I'm His Son and He is my Father, right? There, so there's the familial image and <clears throat> there are others. I, he's I'm the body of Christ and the right right the head of Christ. You have to incorporate this language of slavery in there because it is a major portion of what the way the way the apostles understood themselves in the in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So yes. Anyway, what I thought was interesting yes. about the parable mm-hmm. was it's often translated in many many of the translations. These are servants, right? And they're treated as household servants and this sort of thing. But I, I actually I was very very convinced by Don Carson's take on it, where he actually goes out of his way to say actually the parable only really makes sense if you turn it into us if you understand that these are slaves, right? Because the guy's response in the end and his hiding of the his the the one talent slaves hiding of the money in the yard to keep it safe would have in the initial culture been a a travesty right like his 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 explanation for it anybody who knew anything about slavery in the first century in roman slavery they'd be like what in the world like did mm-hmm. you not miss the memo did you not get the memo that your job is actually to double, is actually to further the master's interests. And so, which is why I think that the major emphasis in the parable is about is about that. It's about using what you have to further the master's interests. It's not to further yours, it's to further the master's interests. And so how do we wait for the return of Christ? We wait in an active, uh, um, profitable, uh, diligent, risk-taking 
Do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. and, and I think it also makes more sense when you think of it through the slavery perspective when we're talking about whose money is this. Right. Because yeah. a lot of us think, oh, the money I have is my money. Right. Right? And, and the message of the Bible is, no, 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 this is God's no. money that has been given to you for a while to to steward. Right. What are you doing with it? So if you take this one step further, I, I, this weekend I showed that there are um, these stories that Jesus tells, right? The first one about a, a wicked steward who beats his fellow servants when he, you know. Yeah. You shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't be like the five bridesmaids who weren't prepared with enough oil for the groom's arrival. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be like the one talent guy because this is the point here. You should be like the five and two talent guys exactly. who double the money. You shouldn't be like the one talent guy who lazily, uh, lazily, but just justifiably in his mind hides the money because he thinks something about the master, like thinks he's harsh or whatever, right? You should be, you should right. be diligent because you know that the grace that's been shown you in Christ, you know that God's not actually harsh, but a rewarding kind of God as is proven by how he responds to the five and two talents. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You should respond to this God of all grace with a desire to further his interests at every point. Then the question at the end of that one becomes, well, okay, but well, what does it mean to further the interests of the master? Like, how do you double the money? Because that's a really interesting image. What kinds of things should you be involved in to double the money? And the next mm-hmm. story on from this is the story of the sheep and the goats. And it just pulls right into it. So Jesus expands it, says, look, there's going to be a day at the end of time, basically, where God is going to come and he's going to judge the living and the dead, right. and all the nations, it says. Yep. He's going to separate them like sheep and goats. And on mm-hmm. the base, the basis on which he will separate them is how they treated the least of these, my brothers. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, what, so what does it look like to double the master's money? It looks like using your finances, your skills, your abilities to edify your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. You and know, that might be financial, that might be emotional. Do you see what I mean? It's love. That's yeah. what it looks like. It looks a practical love towards your brothers and sisters. On a, on a different note, just to highlight something that, that you did there that I think is helpful for listeners when you read your Bible, is, uh, is I think a lot of Christians assume that when the, the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, were put together, that people just were trying to remember yeah, totally. what conversations Jesus said. Oh, yeah, said. And he did this. Hey, I'm going to oh, write yeah. that down. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 like there, there's there's a purpose to what's being said, and these stories go together, and it, this is making a point. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what you see. Listen, listen, I can understand what this passage is saying because I'm reading before this, and I'm seeing what he's saying, and I can understand where this is going afterwards because of what he's saying. Right, and especially in these texts, it, the, the, uh, Matthew assembles these stories right after another, and he clarifies the previous one with the next one, and he answers remaining questions that might not even be asked explicitly in the text, but there are remaining questions that you might have in your mind, misguided notions like, oh, so I should just sit back. If I'm supposed to be like a bridesmaid who's prepared, man, I got a big bunker and I'm put a lot of water in there and just kind of hold on till Jesus comes, right? Mm -hmm. When it's like, well, okay, that's not the point. (laughs) That's not the point. You should be prepared for a long wait, but but, okay, but how do you, what do you do in the long waiting, Right. It might be longer than you think. So, what do you do in the long waiting? And the answer is you're you are a productive, double the master's money kind of guy, mm-hmm. right? Which looks like, as it defined by the next parable, the, doesn't it change the way you read the Bible? Oh, absolutely! It comes alive. Scriptures comes yep. alive in its context. You can mm-hmm. actually start seeing the author's intent, as, and 
realize that what the Holy Spirit is doing there mm-hmm. and how he's used the author to try to right. demonstrate some of these things. Yeah. So uh, when you preach this, you mentioned that there were other conclusions that you wanted to talk about. Are there other ones that you can think of? Yeah. At this time? Um, yeah. I mean, there's a line in the, it, there's kind of a proverbial line at the end of the passage mm-hmm. that says, uh, to him, much has been given, much, much will be, much is required. That's, yeah. a, that's something I wanted to delve into a, a little bit, right? Isn't the that obli- Spider-Man? <laughs> well, the obligation that has been given to those of us, especially here in the West, who have been lavished so much on, right? It's not, it's, we, we are the five talent people, mm-hmm. okay? To, to, to right. suggest that we're anything less is to misunderstand. That's always the irony to me of people who quibble at the 1%. Right. Yeah. You remember that when they did like the, the Occupy on, movement? Yeah, on Wall mm-hmm. Street or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you yeah. realize in the world's economy, you know, you're the one percent. They yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. You you're out there in the Occupy movement with your iPhone taking <laughs> selfies yeah. of you at the Occupy movement proves yeah. that you are in the top five percent richest people well, in the world. Ironically, the point that they were making is valid that the people who have one percent should recognize the the responsibility they have toward the rest of us. It's just that I think we would probably all say yes, but in the wider framework, you are one percent and you have an obligation. And they might view their occupying of Wall Street as a way to to do that, to double the money, although I'm putting this in a Christian. Right. Well, I terms. think that's the problem, though, is nobody thinks that they're that person. Oh, absolutely that's in the place not. It's not just less other people. You know, it's not just money. It's we use the we use the word talent talent from this parable talenton for a reason because it appeals it applies to all sorts of things. But I I did want to develop and talk more about that. That look, I I wanted to push a little bit on on people more personally to say, look, this isn't like. Where do we fit on this? I said on Saturday night, I talked a little bit about, at the end of my sermon about, and this is one, the one that went on the video to some of the venues. I talked a little bit about us as a church and where do we fit in, on, the, on the frame. If, if we were to put Northview on the talent scale, where does that fit? And I got to tell you, it's the top end. Oh yeah, somewhere around the top end, and that's not saying that we're amazing. It just means that, that again, it's that the Lord's that a lot's required. Given, of us. but that's my point: is yeah. if you make a, sell, a wrong self assessment, you you miss you're misguided in what's required of you. And I think we need to own the fact that no, actually, the Lord has gifted us a lot of money, a lot of resource in terms of like time and expertise mm-hmm. and knowledge, and what the Lord expects from those He has given more to is a lot more in return. Do you see what I mean? Yep. And so of all the places, the, all the churches anywhere, I think that our church needs to be the kind of place where uh, risk-taking and, and, and for the sake of mission and um, sacrifice, financial and otherwise, is, is a mark of what we're like. That we should walk with a forward tilt mm-hmm. when it comes to the mission of God in our, in our community and world. And so... Uh, that's one. I'll give you another yep. one. That the the fact that that you have the five talent and the two talent guys, and they are rewarded similarly based upon what they are. I wanted to develop that a little bit and talk about. Well, it's really interesting to me that the I mean, it's I it's identical Greek sentences that are given to these guys when they come and they come to the master and they say, "Here's my here's my I've doubled it and I've doubled it." The master welcomes him into the same joy. He welcomes him in the same same language, and mm-hmm. yet we tend to view it as well. 
uh, sometimes we can tend to view it as if we're a five talent type to say, well, I did produce a little bit. No, man, there's more, there's more required, right. Than what you, Mm -hmm. than what you think because of what you've, like God has invested a lot in you. I think about this all the time about my education. Mm. I think about it all, all the time. Like, Seriously, there are so many Christian brothers and sisters, uh, pastors around the world who do not have anywhere near the education I have. So I, I don't have any ex- – they might have an excuse of missing this point here or that point mm. there or not, uh, leading people in a way that's you know not qu- quite as biblically accurate. I do not. I do not. Mm. I have to be clear and, and, and uh, accurate when it comes to the biblical text because just the sheer amount that God has – given to me in terms of uh, of that or even think about just using those gifts i I mean to me it's always a tragedy when i hear of brothers or sisters in christ who who have a biblical education and they don't use it yeah for the furthering the kingdom it's just dead sea-ish right it just goes in and it stays there and it does it has there's nothing going on there's no outlet no we should clarify that just because they're not in ministry doesn't mean they're not necessarily in using it, That's but right. right not everywhere. It, it doesn't. Yeah, like they can be using that. Like I know a, a gentleman lives down in Seattle. Went uh, to um, the same program I took in Seattle the year before me, and he's working for Amazon now. But he's also uh, a definite leader in his church. Wow, and it was great leading classes and things like well, that. Well, not so. only that, also his that, involvement. His involvement yeah. in the marketplace as a redemptive influence in his world yeah. is a way that he can use his gifts and abilities. Somebody who's really gifted at lawyering can use their g- skills and abilities to further the kingdom of Christ in that location. I, Absolutely. This is, totally. this is what I mean, is, is, but not viewing my lawyering as just a means for my personal enrichment. My yeah. lawyering is a means for me to invest in God's kingdom, whether that's through the money I give to the local church or to, that, to IJM, but also how I'm going to bring reconciliation and redemption to the setting I'm in, mm. right? It changes the way you view yourself. Right. I have a buddy who's a, yeah. a physician, but if you talk to him, you know, and he didn't tell you what he did, you would think he's a missionary because he talks about God's calling on his life. But right. you never hear that, right? God's calling on my life to be a physician. Right. Mm-hmm. You always think of it in ministry, and, and you say, no, God's led me in this way, but I'm going to be faithful to use where God's placed me to his glory in the building of his kingdom. Right. Totally. I'll give you one more. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No. I told you I had a lot. Only give, if you do it in your radio voice. No. Please do it that. in your radio voice, Jeff. Um, I, 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 whenever I preach sermons like this, um, and there are lots of passages of Scripture that seem to demand something of, of the believer in Jesus, right? Some, some level of commitment, some level of works, and I'll use that word. There are lots of passages that talk this way. Jesus talks this way a lot. Even Paul talks this way a lot. Uh, uh, James talks this way a lot. So what do you do with a text like that? Because we're always told we're saved by grace through mm. faith, right? And that not of ourselves is a gift of God. No one may boast. We're not saved by works of the law. That's in fact, if there's, there's one thing we know for sure that the Reformation taught us is that we're not saved by works of the law. We're saved by by grace through faith alone in Christ. So what do you do with all these obligation passages like this one, like the passage about the sheep and the goats and that you're going to be judged seemingly based upon a, on, on whether or not you help the least of these, my brothers. 
So I want, I often want to clarify that, and I will again this week. We're getting into the book of Romans, and so the, the Romans is all about a lot of this. And so I, I will make that clear. But I, one of the things I always want to say is that there, there's a difference between pre-conversion and post-conversion works, okay? Pre-conversion works are, are done in order that people try to do pre-conversion works in order to justify themselves before God, yep. right? You cannot do it. You will never be able to do enough. Right. But post-conversion works are evidence that justification has taken place. There's a difference between having to do something and wanting to do right. something. And, and the Bible, though, condemns pre-conversion works as being the kinds of things that will lead to your justification before God, but, but commends, okay, so condemns the pre-conversion, but commends post-conversion works as saying they are a necessary outgrowth of the truly saved, the truly justified person. So, what do you do with faith and works? Uh, faith is absolutely necessary. Uh, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the person who is saved will demonstrate that savedness mm-hmm. in how they live. So the Reformers said they were saved by grace through faith unto obedience. And it's funny how in our current setting, that last phrase is so often dropped off. Yeah. We love the grace through faith because it means, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. Well, actually, what you do will demonstrate one way or another about what you believe right. about your grace. Well, again, if, if we, again, it comes down to what we've been talking about a little bit on this podcast already about reading the Bible in context. When you look at the passage in Ephesians 2 about by grace you've been saved, starting Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And a lot of people stop there. But they shouldn't, because you keep going, and it says, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So therefore, we haven't worked to earn our salvation, but continuing on again in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Right. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you're not saved because of your works. You're saved for them. Amen. So I mean, just though it's it, yeah, prepositions are important things, yeah. right? And that's but that's what we're talking about here. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, t- I say all that because inevitably, and I got another email this week. Mm. Whenever I preach a sermon about you know whether faith is a practiced faith or I, a passage like this, inevitably I'll get somebody who will say, uh, "But what about grace?" Right. Aren't, there's no works I could ever do that would be enough to justify me, to which I'm saying yes, but we're not talking about justifying works here. We're talking about the kinds of works that are done in order to demonstrate what kind of slave you are. Are you the wicked and lazy kind, or are you the uh, good and faithful kind, right? Mm-hmm. And those who are deemed as wicked and lazy slaves as is evidenced by the actions that they had, regardless of whether or not they called themselves a slave of Jesus their whole life, their actions showed that they buried it in the backyard, will be cast into outer darkness. Mm. So that that's what the text says. Yep. So I'm not saying that these, person, these people are trying to earn anything from God. What they are trying to do is demonstrate that it's been earned. Well, would you say that they're demonstrating it would, that it's been earned or that in their their actions demonstrate that there has been a change that's taken place. Right. The just it, the justification, so my language there, I, what I'm saying is that it's been earned by Jesus, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Salvation is earned by Jesus. His yes. righteousness is given to us. There's never a moment in my life that I am less than perfect before God because of Christ's righteousness attributed to me. Okay? Mm-hmm. I'm imp- it's imputed. It's a legal declaration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you came and said, what kind of tree is that? Is it a Christian tree? Well, how would you know? And the answer is Christian fruit. Right. You'd know what kind of tree it is, whether the root is healthy or not, by what kind of fruit is growing on the tree. If there is no fruit growing on the tree, if there is, a, a, what, wicked and lazy servant Rotten stuff fruit. growing on the tree, yep. then I'm telling you, if there is no uh, caring for the least of these my brothers, mm-hmm. then I'm telling you that Jesus is saying, not real. Right. It, or, or you've demonstrated by those actions that you are not actually, you do not actually belong. So there's, t- I mean, this is the th- crazy part about it. This is what James is saying in James 2. It's just all over the place. This is what the scriptures teach. But every time I preach a sermon like this, somebody wants to say that. On the flip side, whenever I preach a sermon about the, the, the grand grace of God, right? Whenever I preach a sermon about the grand grace of God, I get emails from people saying, you're being like, what about, but what about works? What about the, the fact that my brother is claims to be a Christian and it like kills people. I Mm. I mean, we, and and is unrepentant about it. What do we do with that? So I'm not suggesting in any way that this is not a debatable subject, but I am saying that I I would have loved to have enough time or continued down the path of clarifying for people what kind of works we're talking about here. Right. But I get to do some of that, I guess, this week. Yeah, right, because we're getting into a series on Romans this week. Yeah. And uh, the, the I think you said already, like, the, the second word in the sentence is slave, doulos. Yeah. yeah. So we get to go into that a little bit more. And Paul's, Paul bookends his book, which I'll repeat this weekend. He bookends the book of Romans with a little phrase. Uh, the purpose that he writes for is to bring about the obedience of faith. Isn't that a lovely phrase? Mm. To bring about the obedience of faith among those who are reading. And he, does, he writes it, he says that there in the beginning of Romans, and he says it in the last chapter at the very end. And so, so he, this is his goal. Yeah. But think about the language, the obedience of faith. So f- f- there's faith, but then it's got a thing that it produces. Mm-hmm. And th- what and it produces key. is obedience. Yeah. Yeah. So I will talk so what, about that. This so what weekend. can we look forward to in the next uh, couple months? Theology. These three chapters, first three chapters of Romans, which we're going to be going through. Romans is a dense theological book. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's a great treatise of the gospel that Paul preached. I was looking at the passage we're going to be preaching this week, the first seven verses, <laughs> and I was like, you could do like 10 sermons you could. in this. Yeah, so we will, we will <laughs> not be <laughs> able to take like crazy. massive dives into it all the time, but we're not gonna, also not going to do like whole chapters at a time. Right. We're likely going to be doing breaking it down a little bit more. But yeah, I've, the, I've talked to people who've done Romans over 10 years, which is not what we're doing. Right. <laughs> and I've also talked to people who've done Romans in like how many chapters are there? 15 chapters, 60, mm. 16 chapters. They've done oh. it in 16, 16en weeks. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. That John MacArthur spent like over 20 years in Romans. I'm not going to do that because every phrase could be talked about. True enough. So we are going to be doing it for the fall of the next, I think, five years. Just the fall. We're breaking it up into a component. Romans is a great book because it does break up pretty well. Similar to what we did with Acts. Yeah. Yeah. It does break up really well. It does. 
And so right. Romans one to three is a kind of coherent unit. of Yeah. Thought. And it's easier. Like when, if you're going to say, Oh, five years, like, why are we taking so long to go through this? Well, it's, it's easier to do the narrative books such as acts in big chunks because you've got this whole, like a lot of the, the sections you can look at as kind of the setting and then the building up. It's, it's like a story, right? Like you've got a whole bunch of mini stories within the, within the book. But when you get into a book like Romans or Ephesians, uh, you get a, a lot of dense theology just within a very short space. Yeah. So it's hard. You can't, well, you, like, you whole, couldn't do justice to the book by doing a whole chapter. Well, at we once. just mentioned prepositions. I mean, the, yeah, totally. the whole, the whole, you, I could do a whole sermon on a preposition in the book of Romans because of how important they are. And so, uh, we're hoping, I'm hoping actually that our podcast will serve as a spot where people mm-hmm. can say, hey, in this last p- passage, there was this phrase. Totally. You should, uh, what does that mean? Or how does that work? And why did you choose not to get involved with that? And whatever. Yeah, totally. So as these sermons start uh, coming out every week and you're going to listen either in Abbotsford Mission or even Sunday Night Gathering. Uh, and if you have questions that we didn't address, just be, basically because we didn't have enough time, uh, just send them in because we'd love to be dealing with this uh, more in this on this podcast. We're, we'll be looking more at things that uh, related to the sermon or the passage that we're dealing with because Romans is so dense. So, guys, thanks for being with us today. Jeff? Hey, Steiger. not a problem. I'm glad thanks. to be here. Thanks for being here. Andy, I was glad to be here with you. It was great to be in your presence, boys. Ah, you too. You too. Okay, then. Goodbye, then. Yes. And if you have any questions, send them to extra at northview.org. Have a good night.